You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Today on Radio Primavera Sound, we welcome Mike Paradines, a producer, label owner and promoter of talent quite beyond compare. Um, as music, Mike has been one of the most important artists in experimental electronic music over the past three decades. Uh, and his Planet Mew label has been host to an outrageous run of talent from grime to dubstep, footwear to pop and many paths in between. Uh, he's got a new uh, EP out uh, called Goodbye. Um, there is a it's a busy year for him, uh, including the 25th anniversary edition of Lunatic Harness, his classic 1997 album. Uh, we talk about Jungle, uh, recording with Aphex Twin, how he manages to keep going, the influence of the 90s, uh, and so much more. Um, I really hope you enjoy it, and thanks very much to Mike for doing it. Well, I'll, I'll start. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's an absolute, it's a real pleasure to um, to interview you. I think we were going to try it last year, and it didn't happen for, for, I think, for my reasons, but I'm very pleased we can we can do it today. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. Thanks very much for inviting me. I, not at all. Um, I mean, the first thing I'm wondering, you, your your label, uh, Planet Mew, celebrated its 25th anniversary in 2020. Uh, this year, you are re-releasing Lunatic Harness on its 25th anniversary edition. Are you feeling nostalgic? How are you feeling? I'm, I've got a headache. <laughs> um, I'm feeling stressed out. Uh, about, I mean, I, I, I'm pleased with all the new material I've written. Um, yeah, I'm quite confident in all that. Um, I, I didn't see it as a nostalgic exercise, really. I saw it as in in um, the same sort of thing that uh, a continuation from uh, sort of people who, who were playing footwork and people like Tim Reaper and Sherelle and Basic Rhythm are doing Jungle again and and I, I guess people like um astrophonica and that sort of thing um there's been a resurgence of, of re-releasing a lot of old jungle as well i mean that has been going on since the 90s but um a lot of younger people producing jungle so i i just sort of i was trying to do that rather than um as a nostalgic exercise but you know with my sense of rhythm and melody it's not really quite jungle do you do do you still go out i mean do you go and see these 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 (laughs) kind of djs or only at gigs that i'm playing at so no not since i've only done one gig since um the pandemic um no i've got two small children and uh have to get up very early so i tend to go to bed very early and don't really go out i'm i've never been one particularly for going out except when i was in my early well late teens early 20s i went out quite a bit but then i you know i've stopped drinking or smoking or anything like that and it, it's i sort of tend to stay at home I find it quite stressful to go out i think do, do you ever worry, and this is a worry I have myself, that by not going out, because I don't go out very much either, you're sort of missing something about club music. Like I, I think because there are occasional records I remember, you know, from, from my youth when I did go out that wouldn't make any sense 
or wouldn't mm. make much sense. Then you cheer them in the club, be like, ah, right now I get it. And I sort of personally, I worry that I'm kind of, I may miss the odd track. Yeah, I do worry about that. But then, um, I think well, I'm 50 now, and the sort of tracks which made much more sense when I was younger were, were stuff like Bump, I'm Rushing, or um, something on Hooch tunes, like you know, all the bigger tunes, like you know. The Plastic Man one or something, you know, which I wouldn't get on headphones would, would make much more sense. Um, what was a big one? Don't you want my love? Who was that? Felix? Yeah, Felix, I think. Yeah. Stuff like that I would really get into if I'd, you know, gone out and taken stuff. And it, But then I don't really listen to it much now. And do, do you think, like, the music you make... I suppose how long ago it was, actually. I was going out. 91, 92. Do you think the music you make now would be different if you were going out? Or do you think it would be kind of the, the same? If I was going out, I'd be a very different person, yeah. Um, I probably wouldn't have had children. I'd probably be an alcoholic. So, you know, you take some, you, you lose, yeah, whatever you gain in some ways, you lose in others, I guess. Um. Yeah, it probably would be different, but it is what it is at the moment, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I, I was the new EP "Goodbye," which is really excellent. Kind of it does see Thanks. you revisit that the kind of '90s sound, or that—that's how it sounds to me. Um, am I right that this was basically a product of you were going back through your archives for the Lunatic Harness reissue, and you kind of felt inspired? How how did that work? Well. Just how you said, really. I, I was going through um, DAT tapes um, to, to find... The Lunatic Harness was made up of lots of little bits all glued together. So each track was made up of about three or four different takes, you know, like Strawberry Fields. They're, you know, different take 37 with take five or whatever. And it was really difficult to find the originals. And so I was listening to loads of stuff in between all these takes and I couldn't remember what was what. Um, and I was trying to find extras I could put on the box set, you know, tracks which hadn't been really, and really there, uh, there wasn't anything that was releasable. I, I mean, barely, there, there was a few things, but I don't think it would have added much to the package, you see. Um, so that's what was going through my head. And then um, Conks on Pax, one of the artists on the label, sent me a folder of breakbeats. And I thought, oh, I'll try. Because I hadn't done stuff with breakbeats for years, probably since about 2005, I guess. Uh, so I loaded them up, and, and that's when I started writing tracks, I guess. My... I've written a couple before. Yeah, I've done the Skirlidge record, and there's a couple of sort of breaks on that. Minimal. But yeah, I tried to keep the momentum going from last year's record on, on Analogical Force. My favourite um, tune on, on the new EP is the Jungle Techno mix of Brave Whistle. Um, okay. And it reminded me... I hadn't sort of forgotten about Jungle Techno, but it wasn't... I, I think it's almost something you know when people think of the history of jungle and drum and bass that occasionally gets missed out i mean what 
you know, what was jungle techno exactly? I guess it was that point where Belgian techno hadn't been completely pushed out of the equation. There was still quite a lot of 4-4 four, four and 16ths in it, and, and the sort of reggae influence hadn't taken over completely in the bass lines, although my mix isn't completely like that. Um, but you still had amen. You had some amen breaks in there, you know, that, that sort of thing. There were a couple of compilations called Jungle Techno, weren't they? Yeah. Maybe three or four. <laughs> and I mean, it was kind of a step just before Jungle Techno became Jungle, which became drum and bass, right, essentially. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, EP, the EP is called Goodbye. Uh, any particular reason for that? It's simply because that track, Goodbye, has got vo cut up vocals in it, and one of the bits sounds like Goodbye. So you a low pitch, a little bit. So I just named it after that. I'm not saying goodbye, although it would be good if I died after this, wouldn't it? Not really, no, but you know. I mean, in terms of, like, yeah, the name. Instead of you've got a busy year lined up of, of releases, right? Um, what, what, yeah, can, what can you yeah. tell us? What's coming? Well, so, yeah, what's coming is so we've got goodbyes. First thing, there's goodbye remixes, which are announced next week with RP Boo, Jalen, Xylitol, and DJ Manny, and myself doing remixes. Um, tracks from the EP. The RP Boo one is released on announcement next week. It's a really good track. Um, then there's the album Magic Pony Ride, which is my new album. Uh, most of it written before Goodbye, actually. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I hope people like it. It went down really well. I did this gig in Spain about a month ago now in Vigo, and I played all new material, and it, it seemed to go down really well. So it's nice because I've been playing for years um, just an old set with old material because I hadn't really written much uh, which I could play live, you know, dancey stuff. So, yeah, it's pretty good to see a crowd uh, responding to it. So that's really, really good. And uh, so after, yeah, what we've got after that, then it's the Lunatic Harness reissue, which is meant to come out in July, but that... We're having problems with manufacturing. We ordered it, I think, in June last year, and it was meant to be delivered in March, then April, then May, and now the factories is not giving us a reply. So I don't know what's going on. Um, then and then at the end of the year, I've got an EP called Hello. So I've sort of done it the wrong way around. But it's just because I did it as a remix of Goodbye. The lead track is called Hello, and it's just a bit stupid. The titling is stupid. The tracks are quite serious. Um, yeah, so that's what's coming out from uh, from my mu yeah, music stuff. Um, and also, I've been releasing Tuscan Raiders material on my Bandcamp, and some of that's coming out on uh, Further Electronics label. Um, they're they're reissuing the Bandcamp stuff. 
It's, it's interesting you were talking about playing a gig and the new material went down really well because um, I I couldn't see, you know, you mentioned Tim Reaper and, and Shirelle. I could see them playing, you know, a lot of uh, tracks from, from the new EP, for example. Do you feel a lot of crossover with, with what they're doing? Yeah, in terms that, well, they've been sort of playing a mixture of footwork and drum and bass or jungle influenced new music. So I think that's very similar to where my head's at in, in what I listen to. Yeah. Well, what is in I, mean, I was talking about Sherelle. Tim Reaper is just isn't doing that. He's just doing jungle, I guess. Yeah. What it, what kind of new music is is inspiring you uh, in twenty twenty two? Well, I've always liked jungle. I suppose I don't know. I, a lot of it's kind of revival, isn't it? The stuff now with, with sort of updated production. But um, in terms of new stuff, um, what have we got coming out ne- next year? We've got some interesting things coming out. Um, I'm signing some new artists. There's one called Kat Nazinga who's from Philadelphia, and that's abstract electronics, I guess. Um, There's some sort of Midwest uh, stuff by DJ Girl. She's from Texas, Um, and that's kind of like the old Midwest acid-y stuff, quite mixed with ghetto house, that kind of sound. And... um, yeah, and we've got a record by Mun Singh, who's uh, half of Giant Swan coming out as well. So, yeah, lots of interesting things coming out next year. That, that's I, I tend to listen to a lot of demos or a lot of music that's sent to me. Uh, and, yeah, sort of see what I like. Sometimes a lot of what I like wouldn't work on Planet Mew, I think, just because either we're not... Well, I get yeah, we're, we're I don't know, we're a bit middle class, so I don't think it would work with certain sorts of music. Our audience wouldn't respond to it. I mean, we've tried, you know, stuff like I don't know, we tried with Eastman and stuff like that to release contemporary grime influenced electronic stuff, and I just think we're the wrong label for it, for example. I mean, you talked about the delays in vinyl, for example. Like how? What's it like running an indie label in 2022? It seems very hard, if you ask me, but I don't know. Financially, it's um, sometimes a challenge, yeah. Um, we're certainly thinking a lot before doing vinyl now because the price this year is has gone up a lot i mean most of what we're doing now was ordered over a year ago so it's a, it's later you know price has got we still have to pay the higher price that's so a bit of a bit of a fucker pardon my french so next year yeah we, we might be doing some digital only stuff or more cds stuff like that definitely so that, that's the what we're thinking but you know that's happened before five years ago we were thinking the same thing and then vinyl took off again um now i mean it's still taken off but it's got to the point where the dealer price has to be so high that it'll probably depress sales a bit i mean it it 
it all depends on which artist it is, you know, for a new Jalen album, which we might have next year, then we'd definitely do a vinyl. Um, but because, you know, the, the amount we can press is larger, we could probably get a better price. But still, our profit margins are, are, are disappearing, yeah, because there's only a certain amount you can put up the dealer price. I mean, <coughs> Excuse how, me. how have you kept doing it for, for 27 years now? I mean, it seems slightly... Um... Uh, I want to say kind of what's your secret, basically. I mean, I doubt I doubt there's one thing, but is there anything you can kind of locate that that kind of make that makes you think? Well, that's why we've managed to do it. Probably because I haven't earned enough money to retire. <laughs> Fair enough. But do, do you ever think of like where where you would be as an artist without Planet Mew? Because for me, um, your own music and the label seem quite closely intertwined not just because you release on it just because they have a similar name i I don't know for many different things um but yeah do you ever think of what what where you would be if you if you didn't have the label yeah i I would have had to find a day job like many of our artists now have have day you know which was more of a rarity when we started in the 90s late 90s but now um most people do something else, you know, and occasionally in music, which is great. You know, a lot of artists doing music for TV or video games and or have their own uh, sound design companies, that sort of thing. So I think um, me having a record label is just a version of that, you know, um, and it, it would have been something else. I'm, maybe I would have gone back into architecture, which is what I did my degree in. That's probably the most likely thing. I mean, I wanted to ask about Lunatic Harness, if I may. Um, you're obviously reissuing it later this year. Does it have a special place in, in your affections? Yeah, it, it was written at the time when my first son was born. and he, he, Obviously, he's now 25. And, uh, yeah, there are a lot of sleepless nights, but it was sort of dedicated to him and... Uh, yeah, it was quite a good time. It was a very inspiring time. Well, Jungle had sort of turned into drum and bass by then, but I was still searching out tracks from a couple of years before, you know, which you'd heard, would have heard on the radio. And I'd just moved to Worcester from London. I'd been living in East London and heard lots of stuff on Pirates. And the nearest uh, shop, well, there were two, I was sort of equidistant between Music Power in Ilford and underground the underground records in forest gate and uh and there was also a few in east ham where i live but you could never they always kept the best records for the djs under the counter so you could never get them just as a punter walking in and so i sort of started trying to find what i'd heard basically and obviously now it's a lot easier you know you've got discogs and everything but back then, it, you had to really search for, you know, 12 inches. And, and it was around that time when I wrote Lunatic Harness, I was still inspired by breaks and stuff. And I didn't know what I was doing at all, production-wise. I still probably don't. But, it, it, yeah, I found it inspiring, definitely. And I, and I was just sort of mixing that with my own sense of melody, which is always a bit um, easy listening. 
I guess. Is it true that it sold 100,000 copies? That seems a mad amount. I don't know. Someone said that, yeah. <laughs> I think um, it was definitely the biggest selling one on uh, on, on Virgin. Um, yeah, I think I know it sold 40,000 through Heart, and that was a UK label. And then there was all the Astroworks stuff as well, which is a US label. So that might not be too far off. I, I think my press officer at those time, Neil Jones, he he probably put together something which said it sold that much and that's carried on. Um, and he probably would have asked the people at Hutt and they may have told him that, put that. <laughs> but I think, I, I, mean, I definitely know it's, it probably sold at least 50. <laughs> but yeah, things did sell a lot more in the 90s, definitely. I mean, even when we started off the label in 98, um, you know, the, the independent label in 98, that things were selling at 10,000 quite easily, like Jager's first album. And even, you know, uh, Phoenician Snare's first things were selling a few thousand, you know, and then they sell a lot more later on. But now, yeah, now it's shrunk quite a lot. I guess it's, you know, lucky to get a few hundred of some things. And if you're selling 5,000 of something, then, you know, that's, Ninja Tune levels. Do you, do you have like a favourite of your of your releases? Um, I, I like the first one, Tango Invective, because I mean I think everyone's first record it, it has a special place in their heart. Because yeah, I was so young when I wrote it, you know, eighteen, nineteen, and it it didn't come out. Most of the tracks were from, you know, two, two and a half years before it, it went, when it eventually came out. And um, yeah, it was a difficult time in my life, I guess. Uh, and I was sort of going up my friend's house and trying to write stuff on his computer. I, did, I, I couldn't write stuff at home unless he went on holiday. Then I would borrow his computer and take it, his Atari on the bus. <laughs> um, so yeah, good times. Um, so yeah, Tango Invective, I think for me, was was my favourite because it had a lot of um, memories associated with it. Really, is that the one record you would play to someone if you wanted to explain what it is you did? I mean, someone who had no idea who you was. You well, know. most people. Then, um, <laughs> what? Well, I just sort of say, have you heard of Apex Twin? And if they say no, and I say, well, okay, well, it's a bit like that, but yeah, if they have, that's generally what I do nowadays, because some people have heard of his name, but most people I speak to, and I mean, there are some fans of mine at the school gates, for example, which is nice in a way, I guess. Yeah. But they just see me every day, so it's nothing special for them or me. <laughs> It is funny when someone comes up to you and saying, are you Mike? It has happened a few times at the school gates. There's about four or four people, which is nice. One of them came up and said they liked the new single. I, I wanted to ask, if I may, about uh, the auteurs versus music, which I th oh, yeah. I think was the first thing of yours I, I heard, I think. Okay. Um, 
and it's a record I really love. And I also like I, I really love music. I really love the auteurs. But Christ, it's a weird record. Looking back on it now, I, it just seems like, OK, a major label indie band that I really like making kind of like sort of indie pop, getting utterly remixed into very weird, weird places. How on earth did it, did it come about and how do you feel about it now? Well, it came out because I had the same manager as Luke Haynes from The Auteurs, Tony Beard. Um, I mean, we parted ways not long after I signed to Virgin because I didn't really need a manager. Um, I could sort of handle everything myself because they were quite a nice label, heart. Um, but yeah, uh, Luke, I think, was always trying to cause trouble, upset, or do surprising things. I think, and this was his sort of humorous thing. I think um, it was just meant to be one remix for his twelve-inch, but I did one remix and I wasn't quite happy with it. So I thought, okay, let's try another. And I sort of tried six little things throughout a couple of days. And then I thought, oh, well, I can't, I don't know which is good and which isn't. So I, I sent them to Tony, he gave them to Luke, and, they, and then I sort of heard back maybe a fortnight later saying that, oh, um, I mean, this was all before I signed to Virgin, uh, and it's probably the reason I did. And they said that uh, Dave Boyd, who was head of their label, he really likes all of it and just wants to put it all out. And I thought, oh, fine, I said, you know, and I'll give you, you know, three grand. And I thought, fucking hell, you know, because I'd never had three grand before. Uh, but, you know, obviously I didn't have the publishing. And I thought, I don't give a shit. I want three grand. <laughs> I was still living at home, you know, with my mum. So, yeah, three grand is the reason I did that record. <laughs> but and, and I can't imagine you were, like, obviously you had a deal with Virgin. I can't imagine how that worked either i mean it seems like a a, a strange place for planet new to start what was it like well yeah i mean i, I that was the reason i signed to virgin after i think yeah tony spoke to them after they wanted to do the music versus auteurs thing and you know do you want to sign him and they were sort of umming and ahhing i think and then reflex released bluff limbo my second album and it got a glowing review in NME or Melody Maker. I can't remember which. And I think like a day later, they came with an offer. And it was the 90s, I suppose. They were signing whatever the inky papers were sort of championing, I guess. So, you know, I was in lucky to be around in the early 90s and, and get signed on a major label. I think, I mean, if Warp had offered me a deal, I would have signed with them, I think. But they never did. So, I mean, they did for Jake Slazenger later on, but not at that time. And I did send a, a demo to Warp. Um, and London Records as well, I think, at that time offered me a deal as well. But the, I wanted to be on Virgin because Human League were on Virgin, or had been on Virgin. So that was the reason. And the label... Planet Mew was just an imprint for my own stuff initially. 
because it had to go had to have a different name because it was going through a different distributor they they used an indie distributor for the hut stuff which was you know verve moose the auteurs and and, and that sort of thing McAlmont and Butler and um, we were going through RTM which was like rough trade distribution which did a lot of dance stuff so they had to think of a different name for the sub label so I just, and they asked me and I said well Planet Mew and then it was later on maybe a year later I said can I release other artists and, and that's when we did the mealtime compilation which I think cost a lot more than it made so they they didn't really want to do more so i said oh, okay can i take it independent and here we are yeah over your um many many years of, of making music you've collaborated with loads of people um including both your wife and apex twin um which i think that's the ultimate combination working having worked with your wife and apex twin what, what is the secret to a good collaboration how do you make it work well, some people would say that the collaboration with Apex Twin didn't really work. Who would say that? That's a great album. People who don't like the album. <laughs> There's quite a lot of, of them online. Apex Twin fans, mainly. Um, yeah. Uh, I think the, the way to a successful collaboration is probably to find a place where you can both coexist musically and just aim for that rather than trying to pull in different directions t too much just uh, yeah don't 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 force it too much um, and once you find the place in which you're working well together then obviously you can force it because you know where you're going and maybe yeah it, i mean when i worked with speedy j it, it took quite a while maybe we did five or six tracks before we found out, oh, this should be ambient. And it was sort of was mainly, you know, ambient-ish. Ambient in the old sense of the word, ambient house. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, that taught me that I shouldn't be pushing drill and bass on him, which I was when we started off trying to do tracks and he couldn't cope with breaks. Um, I mean, legend has it that when you made uh, Expert Knob Twiddlers, which is the album with Apex Twin, um, yeah. you were both very drunk. Is that is that true? And if so, did that help? There were times when we had a few drinks, yeah. We had a bottle of vodka, but not not the whole time, no. I don't think. When we but yeah, we, we did the first track, we had a bottle of vodka. That's why it's called vodka. And that was the first track we a wrote. A bottle, yes. Um, I mean, I don't think I, it was probably him who had most of it. And also a couple of tabs of acid, but it wasn't very strong acid. And I think that was back when we were listening back to it. And then he started trying to freak me out playing other tracks. Anyway, yeah, it, it's, it's hard work writing tracks and I, I wouldn't recommend taking substances, alcohol, or any other drugs when you when you write and i certainly don't do any of that now kids <laughs> so um but it definitely brought down our inhibitions because you know i'm autistic and i think richard probably is in in a certain way and we find you know it's difficult to communicate uh 
on a neurotypical level when you're autistic. So alcohol is definitely, especially when I was young, when I was a teenager, definitely a way of doing that. Um, one last thing I, I want to ask, um, and you know, to take things back to the present, is how do you how do you keep inspired after all these years? Like how you know, when you sit down to make a track, are you still? Is the inspiration still there? No, no, half the time it isn't. And but that was the case when I, you know, in young when I was younger as well. Sometimes you start writing and, and it was everything that came out was just rubbish and that still happens today yeah I, I just don't finish a track if it's crap or i just work and work until it becomes good sometimes i'm wrong so i do save versions of what i think is rubbish and go back to it and then oh it's amazing it does often happen actually why, why was i thinking this was crap i don't know yeah it's it's difficult one that um, but inspiration isn't something that you or that I uh, recognize always immediately. Sometimes it's as simple as listening to a new record that you think, oh, I can copy a bit off that. You know, that's an inspiration in a way. Why haven't I thought of that idea? Or sometimes you do think of a novel idea and you try and do it. And that's often when it turns out crap for me. This idea I thought would be amazing really doesn't work. So. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today. Um, Likewise, thank you. The new EP is brilliant. And I've got to say um, that particularly the Jungle Technomics of Ray Whistle has become a favourite in my kitchen because um, I don't really go out, but like, you know. Yeah, neither do I. <laughs> yeah, I've it in my kitchen as well on my Sonos speaker. Is it Sonos or Sonos? I think it's or Sonos, Sonos, but I don't know. I, don't I know. would say Sonos. But an American might say Sonos. Yeah. Uh, a little plug there for Sonos. Undeserved, uh, undeserved. Yeah. It's got a scream from my son in it, who at the time was four, I think, when I wrote it. He's now six. Um, pitched up, pitched right up. That really annoying scream. But that was trying to be like, you know, Scotty or Ricky from, you know, the old Jungle Day days. They had those panic tracks. Mr. Kirk's nightmare, all that. It was kind of a bit of the scream was trying to pay homage to that sort of thing, really. Well, it's a great EP, and that track in particular is one I've been enjoying. Billo, thank nice you. One. Thank you so much. Um, and yeah, I hope I've, I'm looking forward to everything you've got coming this year. Oh, brilliant. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Ben. Yeah. Okay. See ya. Bye. Bye.